the panel on RNZ National, just some uh, traffic here. State Highway 1, Dunsendale, Canterbury, there's been a crash. Uh, reports of a crash near the intersection of Brown Road. Delays are possible. Please travel with caution. First up this afternoon, strains of influenza that we haven't seen in years are back, marking the start of another flu season. There is concern we could be in for a major wave of flu in 2023 and that these strains hit children especially hard. Around 700 people died of influenza last year, compared with a yearly average of around 500. To discuss this important topic, we have Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners Medical Director, Dr Luke Bradford. Kia ora, Dr Bradford. Kia ora, Wallace. How so, are you doing? Good. Are we seeing quite a few cases uh, for this time of year, uh, Luke? Uh, not yet, Wallace. Uh, the numbers aren't coming through in clinics as yet or in hospitals Massively, but the um, the surveillance through the labs is seeing the numbers start to pick up earlier than we perhaps thought it might. Can you tell us a bit more about the different strains we are seeing this year? Yeah, so it's uh, predominantly flu A. It's about 80% flu A at the moment. And of those, a proportion are the H1N1 that people know about. And we're seeing about 20% flu B, which is uh, an increase in the last from the last few years. Now, the H1N1, that's swine flu, am I right? Yeah, yeah, people know it as swine flu. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got a panel here, Luke. They'll have some questions or thoughts. Uh, uh, Cindy. Hi, Luke. Um, will one flu jab cover all of these strains adequately? Yeah, we we really confident that it should do this year, Cindy. We've got two uh, we've got two flu A strains in the flu jab. One is H1N1 and one and one day three and two, and we've got two flu B strains in it. One from the northern um, hemisphere, European circulating virus, and one from the Asian one. So, why do you think that the long absent strains have all of a sudden reappeared? Well, they're um, they're circulating most of the time. It's just that with the COVID lockdowns, we eradicated flu for a couple ah. of years, and then uh, it's um, it's now sort of bubbling back up. People's natural immunity has waned uh, because they haven't been exposed to it. So it's fairly cyclical. We do see this, David. Luke, the the question of immunity waning might imply that we're actually better to be exposed, but that's not exactly true, is it? You know, the, the practicing the things we learned about. Um, ventilation and cleaner air and um, face protection and staying home, they, they all apply here still, don't they, as the, as the preferable course? Yeah, absolutely, David. Yeah, they do. And I think we've, um, we've learned a lot through the COVID times that going to work sick or going to school sick is, is perhaps not the best idea, especially in terms of protecting the rest of society. There's kind of a misguided heroism about that sometimes, isn't there? This idea that you're, you're, you're being helpful to everybody by turning up sick. We, we really, yeah. It would be really nice to dispel that, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think we've all been guilty of it in the past and you don't take sick days. It's a sign that you, uh, you've got a good work ethic and you're dedicated. But actually, it, it, it puts other people at risk, especially the, uh, the vulnerable in society. Oh, yeah. and one more question. And the there is a particular vulnerability to kids about this. Is that correct? Our flu flu B tends to affect children more, so we tend to see that pick up in schools um, and kindy centres more. Uh, flu A tends to target um, the older 
population more. So what's a message for, you know, of, uh, two children, parents uh, this afternoon uh, about uh, protection around uh, these strains coming through influenza B, H1N1, influenza A? Yeah, look, there's, there's a couple of things, really. The first is, as we go back into school, people have been away on their holidays, that so people are going to be coming back in, and that's when we tend to see a little pick-up in these respiratory viruses. So if your child's ill, then do keep them home if you can. And in terms of um, children who are eligible, so those with chronic uh, medical conditions, they can be vaccinated, and certainly adults. There's a, there's a really broad range of people who are eligible for vaccines, and uh, and they should certainly pursue that through their GPs or pharmacies. How, how much is it? I mean, does it does it cost? If you wanted to take your children to the pharmacy, could you get them free, isn't it? a free flu jab? So it's, it's free if the child's got a respiratory illness or another um, chronic medical condition. For adults, it's all over 65. Marty and Pacifica are over 55. And those with um, any disease or illness that they're on sort of long-term medications for often qualify. And, of course, for pregnant women, um, in terms of having your child vaccinated for flu, it's probably worth having a discussion with your GP about that. But in terms of the general adult population, you can go in and pay for it at a pharmacy. Don't you think it should be free for kids? Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, I guess it's about targeting where we can with those those health dollars. We know that the kids don't tend to get incredibly unwell with flu like the elder population. We do see the hospitalisations and serious disease um, burden in the elderly, and there are definitely our target right. population. David, look, I've got one more question. There's more curiosity than anything, which is about the tracking that we became uh, prominent with COVID of the wastewater testing. Do, are you able to get a better fix on um, flu incidents through that wastewater t- testing, or is that? I, I honestly don't know, David. I'm afraid mm. would it be a public health question. I know that we're not getting sort of numbers through on that. We tend to do surveillance through swabs that go into the laboratory for flu mm. that way. Oh, and the flu tracking thing that I get every Monday. Is that helping ah. you, Manny? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that comes out of the lab numbers. So ah, right. Being tested in the right. last week, and then right, right, right. a proportion of those are then further tested to see whether what strain they are. Dr. Bradford, just finally, is this a reminder while we are talking about flu? Because I'm just, you know, in a normal year, it does kill uh around 500 people uh, and I can recall, I haven't really had it but my uh, wife had it a couple of years back and I was, I guess I was really surprised just how ill um, you know, she became with the flu. Is this a real time to remind her to you know, take flu seriously uh, and uh, make sure that you do check in with your health professional if you have, uh, if it gets serious? Yeah, absolutely. Flu is really quite nasty. You're looking at two weeks of illness, really, and um, fevers are are almost always present with it. Body aches, headaches, nasty cough and sore throat. You really can become quite poorly. So, so apart yeah. from a vaccine, what are, what are the preventative measures that can be taken? I mean, is it the sort of lemon juice and whiskey or whatever, or hot water? <laughs> Uh, Good on you, Cindy. Not, they, were, they were never preventative. I think they were supposed to be symptom relievers. Oh, okay. But is there any preventative or things that can help prevent? No. So other than the, the stuff that David mentioned earlier that we've learned through COVID with staying at home and masks and ventilation, it's just making sure that, you know, your general wellness is looked after. I think, you know, you're much more likely to become seriously unwell if you've got other conditions or if you're not right. in too good a shape with, with your general wellness. Very good to have you on the programme, Dr. Bradford. Kia ora. Yeah, thanks.
That's the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners uh, Medical Director, just a reminder that uh, flu will be nasty, possibly nasty this year around. So um, uh, if you are sick, uh, and particularly look after your uh, children as well, uh, should you have them, to make sure that you receive timely advice from your GP. I, don't have, I mean, have you? I really haven't had the, the sort of flu, but I was just, I was actually quite shocked at how yeah, poorly yeah. Uh, a tab was. But I, as far as I can work out, maybe I've, I had it once about 20 years ago because I've never felt like that any other time, and it was wretched, really, really bad. But, I, you know, I'm, one of those times when I didn't go to the doctor, I just waited for it to get better. But, you know, delirious and waking yeah. up waking up uh, in sweats. And, uh, it's it wasn't quite something, good. right? Yeah. 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 Uh, now, uh, from April the 1st, 2023, flu immunisation is free for Tamariki from six months to 12 years. Uh, you're on the panel on RNZ National. Uh, to this, as you'll know, the Australian government has announced a pathway to citizenship for New Zealanders in a major change to an issue that has strained our relationship for decades. New Zealand has often been described as second-class citizens in Australia. It's the biggest improvement in the rights in a generation, says Prime Minister Chris Hipkins. There are concerns that it'll lead to more New Zealanders jumping the ditch, although that's been a long issue. Changes coming into effect July the 1st are retrospective. So those in Aussie since 2001 we can apply directly for citizenship without gaining permanent residence first. No income uh, or health requirement. Well, Barney Bennett, Bennett rather, is one of the half a million Kiwis in Australia. He's made uh, Australia his home. Barnaby, kia ora. Welcome to the panel here in New Zealand. Kia ora. Great to be on here. Thanks. So this change unwinds a 2001 decision uh, that uh, restricts New Zealand's access to citizenship and social service payments. What do you make of it? Do you welcome these changes? Yeah, I think it's fantastic. It's great. But um, it's probably not going to make a granular day-to-day impact for most New Zealanders over here, where we, we had a lot of um, sort of access to the um, to life in Australia generally. But I think there's particular moments where it'll be incredibly important and useful. And I think there's a broader cultural impact where we will just feel like we're welcomed and accepted and part of the country more, which I think has, um, you know, is actually quite meaningful for, for two peoples that are very closely entwined in our history. Did it, always, nice finally... did it always, Barnaby, feel a little unfair? Here you are paying tax in Australia, yet not able to receive the full suite of benefits should something have gone wrong. Totally. And it was also not good for Australian democracy, I think. I think it's bad when you have large large amounts of a population not able to politically participate. I don't think that's healthy. And and so, yeah, there was there was things when disasters happened, when there was like one house on the street that happened to be owned by the New Zealander that wasn't able to access support payments, which seems just, you know, yeah. plainly unjust when they've been paying their mortgage for 20 years and their insurance. Wow. Um, there's inconsistencies in the education system. I think there's, it, there can be problems with family courts and, and abusive relationships. So I think it's a good policy because it very tidily solves a whole lot of small loophole issues that have been gnawing away for a long time. Um, and it's quite clean and it's quick and immediate. I think it's a very, very brave and sort of, um, it's a bit of a triumph for both, both, both countries, I think. I think it's one of those situations where you can have a good thing that there's no losers, which is great to see. So, Barnaby, the um, 
the, the new agreement, as you said, sort of closes up a whole lot of little loopholes. Mm. But isn't isn't the basic uh, issue still the significantly higher salaries over there? It's um, you know reading one of the articles that you know the average wage is ninety four thousand Australian, which is equivalent to 102,500 New Zealand, whereas ours is 77,000. So, I mean, that is, and that's look, huge. And that's long been an issue, and I don't think this changes that at all. But I also think it's not really right to see this through some sort of geopolitical, economic lens, right? It's not just human labour moving around. This is families and people and cultural things that are really important, Um and I don't think it will change that relationship that much. That, that has always ebbed and flowed between Australia and New Zealand. And we're at a particular point where, look, more New Zealanders might come over. But who knows? You know, we've seen things change quickly at the moment. This is a big long-term change. But David. This year or next year, it's a good five or 10 or 20 or 30-year relationship right. change. I, and I, I like that, Barnaby, and I, and I do kind of wonder if, you know, maybe there's a kind of a balance that eventually finds its level where if... You get too much emptying out here, then the affordability of houses restores itself somewhat, and that that makes people change their calculation. There are there are so many variables at play there. I was just going to ask you, if if I may, how much distribution you have of family one side and the other of of, of the Tasman. And, and I'm probably fairly typical. I've got um, well, I'm married and have an Australian wife and son here now, so my my nucleus family is here. But I've got a stepsister over here. I've got aunties and uncles up in Brisbane. My grandparents moved Gosh. over to um, Queensland about 20 years ago and passed away up there. Mm-hmm. Still got most of my other brothers and sisters back in New Zealand. So you know, it's yeah. just hey, can I can I ask you, right? Barnaby? Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question, please? And that is, where's home to you? Where do you feel yeah. home is? Both. It's hard. And that, that, that's, you know, I think that's a migrant experience, right? Your home yeah. is more than one place. It's where you lay your head, but it's also where you grew up, right? And where you spent your formative years. So I went back to Christchurch for four or five years after the quakes, and that felt like home pretty quickly as well. So uh, right. That, so d- that, that has its benefits and its difficulties, right? That's a, that's a, who do you support in the All Black Games against the Great Wallabies? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's all my, my husband's brothers and sisters all live in Australia, and there's constant banter all the time. But I think, you know, it really, you, you still support the All Blacks. So, so Barnaby, there is a, there is a um, line of thought here that um, uh, it will lead to an exodus, a brain drain. Where we're all going to, you know, the last person to leave, switch off the lights, echoing a Bromhead cartoon of the late seventies, talking about the very same issue. This is hasn't, it's not a new issue. Have you had any commentary from other friends in New Zealand? Oh gosh, we're going to join you, Barnaby. No, and I think if you wanted to come over already, it's already a lot of support for that. You can Mm. jump on a plane and be working the next day, right? So I don't think it changes that. There seems to be a real... I mean, I understand it's economic tough times, but there seems to be a real anxiety in New Zealand around this. And I think, you know, I'm a good example of that. You come over here and I got a PhD in Australia and I went back to New Zealand and used it in Christchurch. And there's a lot of people that move back and forth. And as as Albanese said, you know, a win for one country can be a win for both sometimes. Uh, this might not be a, f- a fair question to ask, Barnaby, but uh, t- broadening that line of questioning um, Wallace was just making, uh, do you have ideas about what it is that makes 
Australia prosper in ways that we don't? Is it that it's simply bigger, it's broader-based? Minerals, and, and how much of a role does minerals play in that? And there's a follow-up to that, which is how much uh, of the externalities that are contributing to the climate crisis do you think they're, they're getting a free ride on that maybe ought to be factored into all of that. Choose Large what, calculation. Choose one of those, Barnaby. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I think the, the answers in that question, I think that's yes to all of it. There's a lot of wealth in the ground here, which has is, um, is, is, is helped Australia. And look, it, it, I don't think there's a free ride because Australia's getting its own fair share of um, impacts from climate change. So yeah, that's it's true. We're together on that level as well, right? Barnaby, yeah. it's really great to have you on the program in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, on the panel in New Zealand here. So, all the best, and um, hope to chat again. Great. Talk soon. Thank you. That's uh, Barnaby Bennett, who's made his home in Australia, one of the uh, half a million-plus Kiwis in Oz. Wallace, my sister has just finished up from the Christchurch Public ICU, has felt just like a number after 25 years with the new hospital format after the DHB dropped, etc. She's been on 51 bucks an hour and is getting a $25 increase, going to $76 an hour. In Australia, says Martin. 25 past four, we have David Slack today and Cindy Michener. Oh, the death of Barry Humphreys, creator of the likes of Dame Edna Everidge, reverberated around the world. I felt the highs and the lows. It's not always. It's a roller coaster. Yeah. How do you keep looking so wonderful? Have you had a facelift? No, I haven't. I haven't even bothered. I always think you can pick it. You see, I can see it in you. But I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable in my own skin. I am. And you're you... comfortable in someone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's still funny. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I've got to say, with the greatest respect, a lot of comedians from that area era haven't, comedy, haven't aged so well. Ha- the comedy has not aged, but yeah. day, Barry Humphrey's comedy ages very, very well. It's the what, what, what's timing. It it's the timing. Just that. Split second, you know, when when he said, and you, you haven't aged so well, you can pick <laughs> it. It's just absolutely the drop dead nature, you know. He 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 makes it look easy, and right. you know, there's a well worn maxim: dying is easy, comedy is hard, and it's absolutely true. And that's the the, the genius of it, really. I, I've been watching a few, quite a few clips today because yeah. you see one and you want to see another. Exactly. And there's there's that's exactly your, your it. Proof. And it was fascinating to see, particularly, I think. Where he really, really resonated was the, that talk show format where he was the guest with Parkinson, oh. with, um, God, I've forgotten his Tom name, the, the Irish guy. <laughs> um, oh, I know. Uh, yeah. David Allen? David Allen? No, yeah. no. Uh, anyway, yeah, that, 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 that's beside the point. My, what I'm getting at is he would just dominate in a way that no other guest ever did. He would just completely take over the whole show and... And, and made that look easy too, and it's bloody not. Okay, well, with um, us now is Judy. Welcome, Judy. Thanks, Wallace. Lovely to talk to you. Great to have you on. You saw Dame Edna's show in, at the West End, London? I did in 1976. Tell us and about it. I t- uh, well, I took my aunt with me. My aunt was a very highly respected floral artist and in actual fact had done the flowers on the high altar at St Paul's for Charles and Diana's wedding. Goodness. And Dame Medna was absolutely wonderful because she had a pile of gladioli 
and she threw them one by one into the <laughs> audience, and, and people caught them. Well, my aunt caught a gladioli, and then in her inimitable voice, they made and said, gladioli's thrust. And, of course, they all went up into the air. And then gladioli's to the right, and gladioli's to the left. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and, and to see my aunt enjoying herself so much, doing something so absolutely stupid, was incredible. <laughs> Oh, it's such a such a wonderful uh, a memory. Uh, and you heard David and Sunny talk about it. It's just that the master of comic timing, the master of knowing, even today, right up to the last, what was funny and what wasn't. Yes, and I think the choice of gladioli was rather rather interesting. <laughs> well, <laughs> they were they weren't a terribly popular flower, were they? Really, gladioli. No, They're quite old fashioned. And hard to catch as well. (laughs) 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 Oh, lovely to hear you, June. Now, I understand uh, you're making Anzac Bickies right now. Is that right? Well, listen to the panel. That's exactly right. I just took them out of the oven. What a lot. What a lot. I hope hope we're keeping you in company. Are we we okay while you're cooking there? We're not distracting you too much, Judy? Oh, never. Not by you. Oh, there you go. Thank you, Judy. (laughs) Panel family member. Lovely. Okay. Uh, there you go. I okay. m- must be mentioned, uh, must say that Humphreys made some quite controversial statements in his later career on his comments on trans issues. Transgenderism, transgenderism is a fashion, he said. And the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which Humphreys helped launch, stripped his name from a major prize, which had been known as the Barry Award. The, uh, the Barry Award. Was it the Barry Award or the Humphreys Award? Anyway, it remains to be seen whether he'll be given a state funeral alongside Olivia Newton-John and Shane Warne. And I'd like to ask our panel family, do you think that Barry Humphreys should be accorded a state service in Australia? Well, it's for three people, isn't it? You've, yes. you, you've got Barry Humphreys, you, you've got Andy Everett, you've got Celeste Patterson. You know, it's a team has gone down here. And so, you know, it, it, it's bigger. But, but, but seriously, um, yes, I, I really think so, because there is a kind of a, 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 a way that he resonated with people. And, and he kind of captured a, the, the sense of Australia. So if, there was, if there's anybody who deserves a state's funeral, it's somebody who's, who's done so much to capture the sense of the nation, that, the, of the state that might now what do about something. about personal attitudes? Or, like, you look at the totality of a life. I'm not, I'm not saying that that was. I do. I, I wholly disagree with what with the position he took. But I think, in the totality of a life, I wouldn't discount him for that. So, I mean, what constitutes a life that gets a, a state funeral? You said Shane Warne, Olivia Newton-John, Barry Humphreys. So, so it's about mass popularity and mass recognition. Are you saying uh, he's not worthy uh, of no, it? No, uh, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm just... Trying out the ideas. Uh, yeah. Asking, well, yeah. I, just asking the question. Well, I, so, you know, it, should a, um, you know, an Australian astrophysicist who does something that saves a whole lot of people and his contribution to the world is amazing, blah, blah, should he be getting a state funeral? It's the vibe, Cindy. What is... It, it's... <laughs> <laughs> is it about it's just the vibe? So it's about mass popularity. Okay. I think so, actually, and, yeah. and, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's as long as we're clear. Yeah, a lot, yeah, of, yeah. A lot of response. Do you think that um, fairly? It's, it's because we're going to be talking about this uh, in the next couple of days. Should he be accorded a state funeral? What do you think? Text me two one. 
You're on the panel on RNZ National.